Hello, Sober Town, and welcome to the Sober Town podcast. This is Polly doing a follow up with John, who did his very, very open interview with our good friend Drifter. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning, Polly. It was actually with, uh, oh God, Elaine. Oh, you did it with Elaine. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. My apologies. Yes. Elaine Eastguy, who's the developer of the Sober Town podcast. And for anybody who wants any resources to, to deal with coming off alcohol, finding any information, listening to these podcasts, please go to SoberTownPodcast.com um, where you'll find everything. And these podcasts are actually across most platforms that do broadcast podcasts. But anyway, back to you, John. Um, what's your weather like? I am humid and sticky. We are hot in thunderstorms. This month. <laughs> it was, uh, it's just those little pop-up thunderstorms, but this one seems like it's a little bit more of an all-dayer. Uh, yesterday was kind of pop-up. Today is nice and, uh, yeah, still hot, humid. Good old Mississippi weather. So You were... You were very open and honest about your um, decline into alcohol dependency. And then you did uh, hospital rehab, if I get that correct. Is that correct? You did in? I did. Uh, yeah, I did my detox in a, a mental health facility in a hospital, part of our one of our hospital networks here. And I uh, did my detox yeah. for five days and then uh, went on to an inpatient treatment facility in North Mississippi, where I was at for 35 days and followed up with 10 weeks of outpatient therapy and uh, rehab. So uh, do you think it all, it all seemed like a little bit much at the time? Um, matter of fact, when I got through with the detox, I thought I would be perfectly okay with the outpatient program. <laughs> yeah. um, again, it's just my alcoholic brain telling me I was cured after five days. I, I'm, I'm rather miraculous you know my first my first trip down sober road I was cured in a day and stayed mm-hmm. stayed dry for 10 years but um this time I, I tried doing the same thing thinking after five days I could do outpatient and I'd be cured and uh no I did the inpatient went straight from the hospital to the inpatient facility and um and then I, I thought 10 weeks of outpatient was going to be a little bit excessive but did the 10 weeks, really thoroughly loved it, learned a lot about the disease aspect of alcoholism, um, everything from the dopamine and the brain and all, all of the different things and the workings of it. And uh, they actually have a aftercare program after the mm-hmm. 10 weeks. That That's good. Can, that, yeah, you can continue to go uh, work in small group, uh, work with your therapist is there. And it's just a small group therapy session. And I did that probably almost probably we, we even met into COVID. So probably up until almost a year after my one year anniversary. So would you say that, um, well, as we both know, um, connection and staying connected with others on the recovery journey is vital. Uh, but would you say you did more, of the educational side of alcoholism this time to when you were previously sober or did you delve just as much into it then as you did now? I did more of everything this time. Um, mm-hmm. The, the uh, first go around, I didn't want to do it. I didn't believe I was an alcoholic. I was doing it to appease a sister who had just gone through a treatment program and has been sober almost 30 years to, you know, I was doing it for all the wrong reasons and mm-hmm. just to prove everybody else wrong and that I could do it. Did so, you use, yeah, did you use AA during your 10 week outpatient treatment? Was it recommended to go to AA or was uh, that they just something you felt? They recommended not specifically AA, but they did recommend some sort of, uh, you know, group, 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 going to some kind of follow up meeting. A okay. Group group therapy type deal. So uh, AA kind of became my choice during my 35 day residency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where I swore at the beginning of that residency, because I'd been down the AA road before that I was not going to be a member or part of AA. AA just wasn't the right thing for me. I think we tend to balk at the, at the, at the, 
uh, AA, it seems to feel like a stigma. Does that does that sound right to you? Like it's, AA feels like me, a stigma. For me, the problem I had with AA is um, the first go around when I when I got sober in my twenties. I um, the meetings I went to, I looked for every way and because I, I, I truly didn't believe I was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So when I went to the meetings, I looked at every person in the room and I said, I'm not like that person. I'm not like that person. Oh my gosh, they killed somebody in a car wreck. I've never killed anybody. Um, you know, I look for all the, that's never happened to me type situations to, to look for the differences. Um, two years ago, when I started going into AA, I took a different approach and I obviously had a lot more open mind because of everything I'd been through. And I started hearing people say things, people that were from the completely different opposite end of the spectrum, say things about their thought process, about the way they saw things in the world, the way they saw their life. And I really listened this time and found out that, you know, these people that are nothing like me, are exactly and saying the exact same things that I say and feel and do. And, and I think that, and that's, you know, in a 10 week program, you, you kind of grow close to your group and not everybody in the group was members of AA. Not everybody in the group went to meetings. I was, I was going to meetings religiously. I came out of treatment. Gonna, I was going to do the 90 meetings in 90 days that they prescribe and, and, and challenge you to do. Mm-hmm. I was going to do that. So I, I was well on my way into AA. And even our therapist, when we had other members of the group that didn't, weren't as active in AA, she would ask me. And I, I told her, I said, it's, you got to find the similarities. And if you're in a group, and, and not every group is for everybody, you got to kind of find that niche that that kind of works. It can take it can take a while to find a good home yes. group that fits. It's like you know putting on a new coat, isn't it? It's got to fit comfortably before you can wear it. And saying that, sitting there saying, "Well, I'm not like them, and I'm not like them," but then when you get down the nitty gritty, you suddenly discover, "Well, yeah, I am like them. I've got. I might not have killed anybody." I might not be sleeping under a bridge, but I have alcohol dependency, the same as everybody in the room. Yeah, and the sleeping under a bridge, I laugh at that because that, yeah. that was always my thing when I was still drinking. I would, I would get, well, you know, I drink and I'll probably drink too much, but I'm not living under a bridge. I haven't lost everything. My life <laughs> yeah. is not over. I, I'm successful. I'm, I've got a great job. I've got my family. I, you know, that that was always my saving grace that I'm not an alcoholic because I'm not like that. The delusional thinking, isn't it? Oh because my god, so delusional. Yeah. yeah, that that's the worst part. Well, you know, I've been to uh, you know, and as my schedules have changed, as my jobs have changed, I've probably I'm probably on my third set or different group of meetings that I go to now. I finally got, yeah. a, and and I try to keep it on a regular schedule. Um, like today at two, I've got a meeting that I usually try to go to Saturdays. I've got a nine o'clock that I usually try to go to and I've got my set groups and, and, and I've, as my schedule begins to disrupt those, I try to replace them with another group or fun. There's so many meetings out there. I think in, in recovery structure becomes so important to us. And, um, yeah, it's routine, but it's also structure for us. It gives us um, a roadmap of where we're going. Does that make sense to you? Um, yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, having my schedule and having, having set meetings and having a set routine, getting up, doing my prayers, my meditations, doing that every morning, going to bed, doing my prayers, doing my meditation, thanking God for keeping me sober, all of those things, you know, starting the day with asking my higher power to keep me sober and then going to bed, thanking them and looking and reflecting at my day. Things I never would have thought of doing that now I would not, I, I won't go to sleep if I don't do my meditation. If, if I don't reflect on my day in some way, I, I won't sleep. It becomes almost like a lucky rabbit's foot, doesn't it? It's like, 
this is our little charm. This is our little lucky rabbit's foot. If we, you know, if we can't do it, it sort of throws everything off. Well, and, you know, and I've heard people talk about it at meetings and stuff. You know, I, I typically do probably three meetings a week. Um, could I get by on two? Maybe, probably. Could I get by on one? Maybe. I don't know. I don't care to cut back to see. <laughs> I don't want to yep. take it to that point of, okay, well, I've been going to a meeting once every three weeks and I'm sober today, but, and then, you know, fall off and, and just have everything go to shit again. I, I just, I'm not willing to take those chances. So yeah, I do what I've done and it works. And yeah. Um, I think, yeah, you worry that if you start dropping some of these things, the complacency might come back in and I never want to get complacent ever. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm to the point that even, you know, I was in a conversation with one of my, I've got five sisters. So when I talk about sisters, I'm, I'm <laughs> I could be talking about any one of them, but one of my other sisters was saying, you know, just talking about the change in my life and how different I am today. And, how she prays, I'll never go back. And I, I, I'm real reluctant to say I'll never go back. I don't plan on it. And I can sit here today and say, I'm never going to drink again, but I'm not making any promises because I don't know what could happen. As soon as I finish this podcast, I don't know what could happen in my life that might change that. That's why we can never get complacent because we can never know what is going to happen within the next hour or two hours. Your life can change completely and be upended. And Karina and I, who do, I don't know if you've ever listened to her and I, we we have some fun. But we we did one about the fear of never drinking uh, again. But her and I said, it's not a fear of never drinking again that gets us. It's a fear of ever drinking again. We fear... yeah, what will happen? What would my, how bad could it possibly get the next time? And as bad, as horrible as my story might seem, and I, it's, I don't even look at it as being horrible to me. It's a, a, a whole lot of God's grace in my life. And, and um, you know, what would happen? What would happen the next time? I could very easily, quickly become that guy under the bridge. That Yeah. It just just doesn't bear thinking about because we know those feelings we had waking up the next morning after a good old binge. Um, And I really never want to feel like that again. Um, The lethargy, the bad heads, uh, putting on the extra smellies and making sure you showered well so you don't... never had the smellies. I never had to put, I had ne- never had the luxury of putting on that. <laughs> I think it's a, maybe it's a female thing. I don't know. <laughs> but making sure you brush your teeth, the mouthwash, and even going as far as um, since giving them alcohol, making sure that it's uh, alcohol, it's mouthwashed with zero alcohol in it. It has to say, before I buy mouthwash now, it has to say zero alcohol. I think oh, most yeah. of them are now, aren't they? But, um, but it, it's harsh lessons that got us here. But like you say, by the grace of God, we've had another chance. Did you, after the interview with Elaine, did you have any fallout to yourself sort of thing? Did you think, well, did I reveal too much? Did We talk, uh, Drifter calls it um, a kind of a hangover. Um, yeah, vulnerability I, hangover. I, I went back through, and, and even after listening to the podcast, I was kind of the only thing I got because I do have a, a, a different job and everything. I, I I listened closely when I went back and listened to it to see did I give anything that may have did I say anything or do anything that might give away my anonymity, and and that bothered me for a brief second, mm-hmm. and then I started thinking. I don't care. It is who I am. It's, it's what I am. It's who I am. I, I, you know, if somebody has a problem with it and if I lose my job, then, you know, so be it. I lost my job, but I did it, did it for something that I believe in. I, it's, you know, hopefully helping the next alcoholic. It's helping it forward. struggling. And, you know, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna have negative fallout from that, then, then, 
obviously I was not on the right track to begin with and there's a better way. So yeah, it was, it was really brief. And then no, I, I, I got back and I got done and I was kind of like, you know, it is what it is. I, I, it's what happened. It's my life. It's how it's worked out for me. And it's, you know, it's all in, it's all in God's plan. So it, it's, you know, I know I felt exhausted after mine because I'd never actually told my whole story in one go. And I mean, I'm saying my whole story, but it really wasn't all of it. Cause you're talking that you're trying to, you're trying to condense a lot of years of drinking into such a small space of time. So you can't convey everything. And I think when you're reaching towards the end, I don't know if you had it, it's just that feeling of despair towards the end of your drinking time did you have yeah. any of that <laughs> i don't know let's see if uh when you get ready to take that first drink and you mm. think before you take the first sip this is going to kill me um and then you say to yourself well at least i'm dying doing something i'm enjoying and which is a lie i look back yep. now and I, I wasn't even enjoying it at that point i mean what do you do in your life that's that you know is killing yourself and you're enjoying it going, Oh, this is the best time I've ever had killing myself. Nah. So yeah, it's pretty, it was pretty dis desperate. I was, the despair was there. I didn't care anymore. I didn't, I didn't care who I was hurting to include myself. And it becomes, okay. yeah, it does become a very selfish thing, doesn't it? Uh, and, yeah, and I, I have the mentality that, you know, if I die from this and if it kills me, then the people around me, they'll, they might be sad. They might not, they'll be better off. That was the, they'll, they'll, they'll at least, they won't have to worry about me. I'll be gone. And now you got your two over two years ahead um, from that time, that, that dreadful time for you. And you look at your, you look at your family, you look at the people around you. Um, how are you, how do you feel about it now? Um, you know, it's funny, it's, you asked that and I had a really interesting day and night last night. Um, um, I've got people outside my door. Um, my son's a musician. He's a, 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 my adult son. He's a musician. He's 23, about to be 24 in a couple of weeks. And uh, he and his girlfriend are in town from Nashville. And uh, he did a show last night and oh, wonderful. they were getting to catch up with all of their friends that are here locally and um they were having a good time like young people do and um i messaged them as the night kind of wound down and we had left them and went our different ways I, I said look if you get in a situation and you need me to come get you please let me come get you and um i actually got the luxury to go pick them up that night um and, and, you know, not that they were obliterated or anything, but they, they knew they'd had one or two drinks and they didn't need a drive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to feel that value and to feel needed and to, you know, and, and not just as a designated driver. I had a, I had a really interesting day yesterday. It was, I, I told you about the pop-up storms and it was yeah. kind of bad weather here, but I got up early and, um, We've, my wife and I have been in our house about three years and there's just a lot of spots and places on the walls and stuff that needed touching up. And I actually got it done. <laughs> I actually did it. I actually got the paint out, found the right paint, first of all, then started and did all those things. And that sounds so, you know, so trivial and so mundane and any normal person, any, any person that's not an alcoholic would probably hear that and go, Okay, so you had a normal Saturday. And what they don't understand is that that is a celebration Saturday to me because two and a half years ago, that would have been a Saturday. I'd have sat in front of the TV watching golf or nothing. I, I hated golf back then, but yeah. <laughs> watching nothing on TV and just drank the entire day and probably – may have gotten some of it done or tried to get it done, but it would have been a disaster. I'd have been cursing the whole day. It just, it would have been horrific, but I got it. I got it done. 
I've been walking around the house and going, wow, the walls look great. They look great. <laughs> I can't believe I got all that done yesterday. And then to end the day by going to pick up my adult children and, and you know, get them Make home. Make sure they're safe. So they, don't, so they can enjoy their time with their friends without having to worry. It just, I wouldn't trade it's it. It's that the feeling inside, isn't it? It's like this huge knot of happy. Yes. It's just like it, a big ball of happy inside. You know what it is, Polly? It's it's feeling alive again. Yes. And feeling a purpose in your life. And, and yeah. no, I don't believe my purpose is to pick up adult kids that have been drinking or painting walls, but it's just being a part of what's going on around me and, and feeling a part of it. And I, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a happiness that I just can't explain. I don't think anybody can. And uh, us females are lucky because when it, we get that happy, we can cry. So we're lucky. We oh, can let the, do, 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 the tears can cry. flow. Yeah. The tears I flow when cry. I feel I that happy. Cried. Not, not something. And that's something else is I'll never forget the, this was probably in treatment. The first time I cried like that at a meeting, yeah. out of just joy. And, you know, I'm not ashamed today. It, it, it's it's it is what it is. I mean, when you feel that type of joy, I, I had a another experience that I had this week, and it kind of goes along these same lines. Yeah. Um. My dad, my mom and dad, my dad, um, neither one went to college. My dad had a a, a labor job. Um, he wasn't. He worked for an oil company, but he he wasn't rich by any means, and. Uh, my mom never worked and there were five kids put us all through college. And, uh, um, but because of that, my dad was very innovative and I say innovative to avoid from saying cheap. Um, well, no, I mean, it was frugal, frugal, <laughs> yeah, that's frugal. Nice, yeah, that's a nice word. That's a better word for it. Frugal. So I'm, I'm driving to lunch this week and, and this is something I never would have seen three years ago. And I saw it yes, this week. And there was a man that uh, was in his carport and he had an open carport and it was raining that day and he had a wheelbarrow in his carport and a cement truck back down the driveway, actually dumping the cement from going down the chute into the wheelbarrow from the cement truck. And I don't know what this man was doing. He had his door to his house was open. I don't know if he was using the wheelbarrow to move the cement <laughs> into the and I just started laughing and yeah. I said, oh my God, that looks like my dad. It looks just like something my dad, I could see my dad doing. And I messaged my sisters and they got chuckled, tickled with me. And I literally laughed until I cried that day. Because Then it just kind of grew from there. I said, yeah, but if that was your dad, not only would he have the cement truck pouring it into his wheelbarrow in the driveway like that, he would have probably, he probably saw the guy 10 miles up the road pouring cement somewhere else and said, hey, I need a favor of you. Yeah. He probably didn't pay the guy anything, <laughs> didn't buy the cement. And he said, I'm just right around the corner and then made the guy drive 30 minutes to his house to get it. <laughs> and but I think, don't you think that's, that's what our parents did because we are ordinary everyday folk. We're nothing special. We just get up in the morning. We put, it, my dad used to always say, I am nothing special. I put my right leg in my trouser. I put my left leg in my trouser the same way as everybody else. Yeah. We used to have a ruder expression than that, but I don't know on a Sunday if that's appropriate. <laughs> um, but yeah, he used to say, I put my pants on the same way as the Duke of Edinburgh does. My right leg goes in, my left leg goes in. You know, that's the way he used to. And that's the way they were brought up in that you made the most of everything. I think we live in such a throwaway society nowadays. And that's that's on us, really, because that's the way we've made it. Um, but I yeah, think it's know, just... I was laughing about it just because... It, what made my and I, and I watched my dad actually work with concrete one time. He poured the driveway to the house that we lived in, and when I say poured the driveway, it was probably a quarter mile stretch of driveway. That I'm like, whatever made that man think he knew 
anything about concrete and concrete structuring and all of that. Mm-hmm. So damned, he was going to do it. And then when he finished, my mom wanted more driveway. So he poured more driveway and it became <laughs> this network of streets in the front yard. <laughs> and, and that was part of the tickling of all this. I was like, you know, dad did what he had to do. It's a patchwork. And yeah, he, he got it done. But I, I laughed until I cried on that on, on those are the things we enjoy now those are the things we actually because our eyes and our hours and our eyes and ears are now open we can see things we can hear things and we take great joy in the fact that we don't take anything for granted anymore because we've been in the pits of hell um and there are still people out there suffering and um we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to touch on a subject that close to me because of my husband, he's a vet, but I find out you work with vets, which is absolutely wonderful. So we take a quick break right. and we'll be back in a minute. Hello, folks. This is Polly and I am back with John. Um, and you actually found a new calling didn't you? My understanding is you work with vets. Yeah, I did. And, and, and I don't know if, uh, you know, anybody that's probably been to treatment, anybody, actually probably most people that have gone through early sobriety, you know, you get it outside of that 90 days or so, and you're feeling really good. And that pink cloud is underneath mm-hmm. you and you, you, everything is perfect and great with the world and you're going to change the world. And <laughs> yes, that for me, yeah, you're going to change the world. I'm going to work with other alcoholics. I'm going to, I'm going to work with addicts and I'm going to get everybody into this sober life and I'm going to, I'm going to do my part. And I did the same thing. And I, I came out of treatment. I came, I was unemployed because of uh, the incidents and everything that surrounded uh, my downfall. And so I was unemployed, so I was hell-bent and determined I was going to try to find something to make a difference. Um, it, it, as the pink cloud kind of settled back down to reality, it, it went from working with other alcoholics to maybe working with people in recovery to, you know, I'm a veteran. Maybe I can do something with veterans. I don't know. Let's just see what's out there. So um, probably, I guess... Uh, somewhere around four or five months, I talked to a gentleman that was the director for a veterans agency that's, uh, that's here in Mississippi that works with veterans to help them purchase housing and, uh, and works with them getting housing. Um, and he was considering retiring. And uh, we talked, and I got really excited. I said, wow, this is perfect. This is kind of along the same rails. It's not helping people in recovery or anything like that, but I'd be able to work with veterans, help veterans, help some of these young kids coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq and maybe help them get into a house. And um, it, a month later, two months later, he called and it didn't work out. He had decided the board that he worked with, that the board decided to keep him, and he, he changed his mind about retiring. So I kind of did some other things for the next Oh, I guess almost right out of a year and uh, got a call in the middle of the pandemic in September of last year to, from the same director and mm-hmm. said, asked if I was still interested and uh, said that he was definitely retiring. And, and uh, by now everything was kind of clicking along in my life and my sobriety and everything. And I was starting to see some of the ninth step promises, which anybody related with AA knows that there are things that, you'll, you start to notice, and, and even if you're not in AA, the longer you stay sober, you start seeing little things happen in your life that never, and it's part of that awareness thing we were talking about earlier. Yeah. You start seeing things that happen in your life and becoming more aware of uh, a higher power, something else other than I'm not doing this all for myself. Things are just working out. And um, I went and I talked to the board of directors for this agency and I, I I um, I remember telling my wife afterwards, because it, it only went about 30 or 40 minutes. I said, it either went really, really well, <laughs> or it went really, really bad. And probably one of the hardest things in my 
just over two years now, uh, hardest things to really kind of put in my higher power's hands because I knew what I wanted. I wanted this job. I wanted to work with veterans. I wanted it. I wanted And I'll never forget, and I've talked about this at meetings in the past, is I remember asking for God's will to be done. And then I would always put a little footnote after asking for God's will to be done. And I'd say, and it'd be really nice if I could do this job. If your will happened to be me getting it done. And I knew a I knew a couple of the board members were retired generals that I'd worked with in my past, and I'd messaged one of them, and he basically almost told me the same thing. He said, don't worry about it. If it's meant to be, it, it will be. You have and, to let um, things, you, you, you have to let things just be, don't yeah. you? And that's one thing we do learn in sobriety is, okay, I've done this. Let's just see what happens next. And I think the one thing I have learned in sobriety um, is it's come huge is patience. Yeah, and I've also learned don't pray for patience, and I, I can touch on that, but <laughs> but it all worked out, and I, I, I got the job. Um, I feel like I've made a difference since I've been there. Um, been doing it. It's, 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 it's a thrill every day, and um, I love, really love, and I, I don't know, you know, I, I never would have changed anything about my career path had everything that happened to me didn't happen to me. Um, and I can easily look back now, you know, I feel like I'm doing something meaningful in life. Whereas before it might've been meaningful, but I don't know what the meaning of it all was. I, I couldn't, I didn't see where I was really helping anybody or doing anything that just was going to change the world. Not that I'm changing the world now, but I do feel like that, what my agency does and what we do for the state and, and for veterans is it does make a difference. So, but, uh, no, I just thought you were talking about patients. So I've had more alcoholics tell me that are in recovery. Tell me, be careful what you pray for. Cause if you pay, pray for patients, God will give you patience and you will, <laughs> you will, whatever you're looking for or whatever you're wanting or whatever you're, waiting to happen you're going to wait just a little bit longer because that's how that's how you learn patience mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I i while i will chivy a process along i'm not one to sit on my butt and not let things happen um if someone says they're going to get back to me i give them space to get back to me on something you know i'm, I'm not that good I, <laughs> I'm <sure you're laughs> i want it i want it now and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm saying that, but I, I've gotten a lot better, and I think sobriety just kind of brings that about. And you get to a point. I think in my impatience, I've learned to just sit back and pause and kind of go, "Okay, let's." You want it to happen. You want it to happen now. It might not be the best time for it to happen now. And it might not even be the best thing to happen now. You might, it might be something better to come along. I think we reach, um, while we, acceptance is a huge part of sobriety. First, you have to accept that your life has to change. Well, not your life, you have to change. You have to accept that you have to change. You have to change your mentality. You have to accept um, you have to accept sobriety for starters, because if you can't accept you're going to be sober for the rest of your life, you're going to be struggling with being a dry drunk. Yeah, I, I think, and, and I, I hate the cliches, but I've heard so many times acceptance is the key. And, you know, I think when I first started my step work and working the steps, you know, step one, accepting the fact that I'm powerless over alcohol, my yep. life is unmanageable. I thought it was just about accepting those two things. I was powerless over alcohol and my life had become unmanageable. Easy. No doubt in my mind, those two things were true. And then as I've gone through the steps and as I've gone through sobriety, I've learned acceptance is a lot more than just about those two things. Acceptance is the key. Acceptance is everything. Accepting everything that happens in your life and understanding this is just, it is what it is, accept it. 
if I can change it, and, and I'm wildly quoting the serenity prayer here, mm -hmm. if I can change it, then I need to change it. If I can't, I need to accept it and, and just move on and, and let, let things happen the way they're happening. One of our sober sisters, uh, she used the serenity prayer the other day to either accept or change things that were going on at the time. And a few people said that they hadn't realized that there was more to the serenity prayer than just words. Because to a lot of people, the serenity prayer is just words. They don't actually delve into the meaning of it. And like you say, um, accepting and change are two huge things within sobriety. And we have to accept we're not going to drink again. And we have to change our mentality for starters. And we also have to accept that not everybody wants this life, this sober life. And we have to accept that we can't change those people as well because right. there's a lot of people who've, got, who've still got drinking partners or people that drink within their life. You know, and, and I have to watch myself because... I don't know if you do this, but, uh, you know, I love, I, and, and I've made it part of my meditation going through the I am sober app and, and looking at the comments from people. And I find myself on, and, and, and I'm not going to say it's just the people that have a lot of resets because it's not, it's some people that have a lot of that, that have days and months and mm -hmm. maybe even years of sobriety that are on the app that you can read their comments and you go, you hadn't quite just accept it. And I pray for some of them because I know that until you fully accept and understand and, and give in, just give up, basically just give up and, and, and just completely surrender everything that you're not going to totally be sober and you're not going to be happy. And if you don't reach, I think a total mental and physical sobriety where you, you know, am I sober every day? No, I, I, I have moments of breakdown. I, I lose my temper. I, I'm not perfect. It is, it is progress, not perfection for sure. I write the book in that. But when I see these people that, that just continuously struggle with the small things and different things in their life, and it's a continuous struggle, they might not be drinking, but you can tell they just haven't quite made that. And, you know, I feel for them. And, and I think it all in a lot of those cases I can read it. I'm like, you just need to accept that this is how it is and it's not going to change. You're not, what has happened in your life is permanent now, mm -hmm. whether it be stopping drinking, a husband leaving, a boyfriend leaving, um, a child doing the wrong thing or not going down the right path. It, I can't change those things. I can't change other people's behaviors. So I have to accept it. Mm -hmm. And I see people, and, and not just on the app, I it just in life in general, I see people struggle with those things. And I'm like, God, you know, your life would be so much easier if you just accept the things that you can accept and change what you can change. <clears throat> you can only control your own space. That's it. You can't, and someone said to me, put your arms out. So I did. And they said, that's your space. If you spin in a circle, that's what you can control. Put both arms out, spin in a circle, and that's the space you can control. In um, treatment, they used a hula hoop. Uh, <laughs> Stay in your hula hoop. It's in your <laughs> if it's in your hula hoop, you can you know control what's in your. And I did not get that, and I, I I'll never forget the counselor that kept using that damn hula hoop. And I was like, what is the point of you in that damn hoop? You look stupid. You're a grown man with a hula hoop. And now I look at that and I go, I get it now. And I, I need to go back and I need to make amends with the guy and explain to him, okay, your hula hoop looks stupid, but I totally understand it and get it now. I actually, I was on a cruise many, many years ago. And one of the competitions was hula hoop, funny enough. And I won. <laughs> <laughs> it was who could keep that hula hoop, hula hooping for the longest. And mine stayed up the longest. Yeah, I, I won the dance contest on our cruise, not the hula yeah, hoop. I, I didn't did win the, the dance. I, I don't know how. 
And it's always alcohol is the prize, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> is it? it's alcohol. What is it? Give me a bunch of flowers next time. But anyway, it's, um, but I agree with you in that acceptance is huge. I have to, I mean, my husband's a vet, as I said, and he's a very, very sick vet. He is 100% service-connected sick. And I think I learned to live one day at a time before I got sober, because um, when you've got someone who's sick like that, you just take it one day at a time because you can't know what's going to happen. And I think that was good education for me um, because, yeah, I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to take him to dialysis, but that's about uh, as much as I know for tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And depending on, and I know, I accept that I'm going to watch the England game this afternoon and anybody watching England are going to definitely win this this afternoon. Two o'clock, I'm watching the England game, so do not disturb. <laughs> so. now, are, they, are they playing there in Texas? I'm still trying to find out. I what wish, I wish. <laughs> I'm still trying to find out what part of Texas you're in that has the England game and that accent that you carry. The part that's in my lounge. <laughs> and the tv that's the part in texas that's got the england game and also funny enough my i don't like to call her my stepdaughter i call her my daughter they've become huge soccer as you call it here fans so they will be sat around their tv this afternoon rooting for england um but i think i i love my life um, I don't know about you, and you talking earlier about the feeling inside when you were you were fully present and able to go and pick your son up and make sure he got home safe. That is that is big as a parent, isn't it? To be there for your child. Doesn't matter yeah. how old they get. I've got a baby who's going to be 50 next year. So <laughs> that's yeah. scary. But to be there for them, it's huge. Oh, yeah. And and then to think back to even when he was in high school and, and, and you know, you, you never want to think this, but you always think it as a parent. What if something happens? What if I have to go to the police station? What if I have to go pick him up? What if and I can remember sitting in my living room drinking and going, well, I hope nothing happens tonight because I damn sure can't get out and go get anybody. I can't do these things. So, you know, you're almost paralyzing yourself to be in a good parent. And, you know, my, I've got a 19-year-old daughter and I tell her the same thing. I said, look, be smart. I, I know what's going on out there. If you have one drink, it's one drink too many. Let me come get you. And to be able to be a parent, and to be able to care and to be able to, and, and not just to pick up and be a shuttle service, but just so many things. You know, two weekends ago, I moved my daughter back to, to, her, to her new apartment in college. I wasn't happy about it. She chose to do it on the weekend of the 4th of July. But I look back, <laughs> you know, I look back now and I'm like, why are you fussing about it? You should be thankful that she needs your help, that she wants your help. And I'm able to be there for, you know, uh, don't, don't tell her I said any of that because I'm still wanting her to know that she made the wrong choice to do. On <laughs> but my thinking on that would be, okay, but there's a 4th of July next year. It's true. This is true. And uh, yeah, it, you know, and I just thank God that as a father, I'm able to be a father. I know and, a lot. Yeah. I know a lot of people struggled with COVID, et cetera. Um, I got sober during COVID again. And I'm saying this time, I haven't given up alcohol. I'm sober. I'm sober now. That's that's my identity is I'm, I'm a sober person. Do I get, you know, that's not all of me though. Um, and I kept thinking with COVID, at some point it'll end and things will come back. Maybe not the same way, but they will come back. And I'm a great believer that you can manage to get yourself through nearly anything in life. Nothing is insurmountable. Nothing is impossible. 
I don't know how you feel about that. My dad used to always turn around and said, "There is one sure thing that is going to tell that going to that is going to kill you." I say, "What?" He said, "Shortage of breath." He said, "When you can't breathe, <laughs> you're dead." He said, "That's the only thing. Nothing else will." Yeah. So you know. No, I and I, I truly believe that. And, you know, I, I, my kids, you know, my wife, my children. They suffered through all of my drinking. Yep. I wasn't there. And when I was there, I wasn't present. And, you know, yes, I am I perfect? I told, I talked about it earlier. I'm not perfect in any means. I still lose my temper. I get frustrated about having to move on the 4th of July weekend. I, I You know, but I'm at least here. I'm at least there. I'm present. I'm not. You know, I, I don't even want to know what that weekend would have. I, I don't even know if I would have done it. I might have just said, no, it's the 4th of July weekend. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to drink. I'm going to do what I always did on the 4th of July. So, you know, I owe it to my kids. I owe it to my wife to at least give them this time now. And I think I think also we're, we're so lucky in that um, our family – I would say forgiven. We are forgiven in some ways. We, we worked. We, we have to work for that forgiveness. But that's an everyday thing. That's in us being sober and being present and being there for the people that were there for us working towards uh, rebuilding. Yeah, and I, and I think going back into the AA thing, I mean, mm. it, it's part of my living amends to my wife and to my kids. Yes. It's the only way I can truly be sorry for my actions in the past is to now give them a living amends and be a better father, be a better husband, and to do better than I have the previous 18 years of their lives. So it's... And to be given that second chance to do this? Yes. It's gold. It really is. Um, AA is when it was first, um, was it 1936, is it, or 35? 36, I think you're. 36. Um, it was based around um, God. But I love the expression um, because I'm not, I was raised Catholic. But I'm, I wouldn't say I was a religious person, um, I believe. But I love the expression, the one expression that did sit with me, because a lot of people have trouble with AA, thinking it's very religious-based, and it's not. Um, the, the words that I always accepted were a God of my understanding. Yeah. Because um, we call it God, some people call it Allah, some people call it Jehovah. He's got many, many names. And um, a God of my understanding was nature was my God, actually. Nature was where I found my serenity and my, my, my peace with myself. And I think that, to me, is, I don't know, a God of my understanding, the place where I find my peace. Does that make yeah, sense to you? And, yeah, I, I grew up Catholic as well, and we still practice. I still go to church, but I get my true religion, my true, spirit, true spirituality from my meetings, from my meditations, from my prayer, um, and the man pouring concrete into his wheelbarrow. That is truly my religion, and seeing things that that make me think and that 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 you know and it might sound silly to consider something like a man pouring concrete but that to me it reminded me of what and everything that my father did and gave to me and and to see those things and to see how creative and to think about how creative my dad was was he always successful oh hell no <laughs> it was, but he was human and none of us so, he did, you know, yeah we're, we're he wasn't perfect and but to, to see those things, that to me is the spirituality and the God in my life. Um, you know, um, watching my cat find joy and chasing a piece of string around the floor and stuff, that, that, that to me is just comical. And that's, 
the god of my life. I, 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 You've I the was cat really that chases cool. string. Mine brings me snakes. Oh no, mine's yeah, not. I get mine's little, little, little kitten, so no, no snakes yet. But no, we get little uh, snakes, little grass snakes, and cockroaches. Mine better, mine better stay inside and stay away from the snakes. But well, there's chickens uh, at the bottom of the garden, and so we get Texas-sized mice. <laughs> like, oh lord! <laughs> yeah. No, no, my wife yeah. would. Uh, I, I think the cat would be gone if the cat started bringing animals up there. Yeah. Door, but Sorry, I somebody I was that. talking to. I, I read or saw somewhere where somebody there. Their higher power, their God, of their understanding—they—they they did not refer to him as God or Allah. It was Bob. Yes, I thought that was uh, Bob. And I knew I had a friend who actually—they turned it around. It was dog, not God. Dog. It was dog. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I mean, we it, we can call it anything we want to within our own mind because this is where we do a lot of our work. We have our community. We have our connections, which are so vital in the journey to sobriety but we also have our mind and this is the place where we do the hardest work you know the thinking that's um the brain the mind the, the all of that is such a big huge pivotal part of all of it and you know that's i think that's part of going it goes back to having those routines and having those those set programs and things that work for mm-hmm. you it's getting your brain programmed and set in a manner that this is the way my day goes every day and then accepting the fact and using that acceptance when it doesn't go that way when I'm out of town because I'm moving my daughter or I'm doing something else and mm-hmm. I can't make a two o'clock meeting it doesn't mean that my day is going to just fall apart and oh my god it's the end of the world it's you know what I'll go to a meeting tomorrow at this time, or I'll do this instead, or finding a way to adapt. And, and when change happens, adapting to that change. And I, you know, you, you know, people are afraid of change and that, that just kills me. Cause I look at, I, I, I was probably one of those people that feared change. Change was probably one of those big fears in my step four list that I, I created. Um, and now I almost have to embrace change because I look at how much my life has changed in two years. If I look back at the last two years, it looks like a lifetime to me because I feel like I've had a lifetime of change in two years. You know, more things have happened and more and not all positive, but even out of the negative, positive things have come out of them. And and I think I tell people all all the time, no matter how bad things might seem right now, you know, it got me through my mother's death. It's yeah. horrible and as bad a time as that was, being there with her was, I look back and, and holding her hand until she took that last breath. I wouldn't have done that. I would have, wouldn't have gotten that chance. And, and to have that ability and have that chance and to find the positives and even the bad things and the negatives and, and, now when things bad happen, I, I go, I'm going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And then when something positive happens tomorrow or the next day, it's going to be so much better. And I'm going to see it so much, so differently now. It, it's just, I don't know. The, the Being able to feel and have emotions is just an amazing thing. Feelings are wonderful. And I think everything you just said, there's just one word totally at the front of my mind that we talked about, acceptance. And we accept life on life's terms. Is life always wonderful? No. And we have to accept that. I also have lost my parents. I lost my first husband. I've lost a sister. I cannot bring them back. I cannot change the fact they're gone. I have to accept the fact they're gone. And accept the memories that they left with me with, you know. And um, I think just accepting life is what we've done in sobriety. We've accepted our life. And we, I think for many years, we didn't even do it. We didn't live. We, well, I don't know about you, but I didn't. I wasn't no. anywhere on the, 
within the, the spectrum of living. I went about my day. I did what I was supposed to do. I functioned, but I didn't live. Now, like you say about the emotions, the happy emotions, um, and I think, here we go again, accepting all the emotions, the good, the bad, the happy, the sad, the crappy days, the good days, the days where you see something that just makes you chuckle so much, and those happen a lot more often. Are you finding that you are laughing more often? Oh, God, yes. Yes, and, and healthier, heartier laughs about <laughs> <laughs> and, and just sometimes the strangest things, the cat bringing a snake up to the door. I don't know. <laughs> Luckily, it hadn't happened, but that, it can be funny. And, you know, um, yeah. Um, and I, I can't remember who it was that was talking about it the other day, but somebody was talking about um, how so many more things are now so apparent and that they see so many different things. And and. They didn't think, oh, I think it was your inter the interview with Cece. Yeah. She was talking about um, Karina. Yeah. She didn't think she could be funny without alcohol. That was it, yes. And now she's, she's realizing I'm actually a funny person and people enjoy being around me. And, and I, I've had to kind of reteach and relearn that over the last two years that, you know, and, and you know what, again, uh, I hate to bring the word up again, but it's acceptance. Yes. I go into social events and I don't worry about, am I going to be the life of the party? Is everybody going to want to talk to me? Is every, you know, it is what it is. If people come up and talk, I'm okay going to a party and being off to the side and just observing and just being people a part watching. Of yeah. And just being a part of the moment. I don't have to be the one standing up or doing the shots at the bar and, and passing out shots. I, I can I can be the quiet person on the side. And, and if you want to talk to me, if Polly wants to talk to me, Polly will come talk to me or I can That's go it. to Polly and we can talk. And if we talk, we talk. If not, it's OK. It's OK. <laughs> you have got and, a beautiful smile on your face. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's a lovely one. Life is good. Sober yeah. life is, excuse my French, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> it is fucking amazing. And it's, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I went, I told you I went to see my son perform last night and um, it was at a bar slash coffee shop. I don't know how you have a coffee shop that's a bar, but it was. And most of the people were drinking, but, you know, I just, enjoy being in the moment um watching my son perform and and getting to see something that uh, i remember all of it i you know it was it was it was a great moment moments time moments every like it's just so much better without the alcohol and i never thought i would i was i was like cc i did the pre-planning the pre-partying and and i drank before because i knew the anxiety was going to be through the roof and mm -hmm. and uh let me go ahead and and take the edge off now and then by the time i got to the party i was already half hammered and but god i was funny no i wasn't what the hell you, were hammered. you, was gonna be a, you know delusional thinking again <laughs> very delusional and just accept who i am Accept I accept I, I accept who you are. I've I've loved talking to you. It's been gorgeous. And I love how these conversations trigger small things within people's minds. I have learned and I am still learning so much. I have I listen to a podcast or I listen to what someone says and I have aha moments that say, that yep. to me go, oh yeah, I didn't realize that. And those are those are the golden moments. And um, I call I, them aha, those aha moments. I call them God winks. God winks. Okay, then I'll take a few God winks as I go along. I've had a few this last week that I've enjoyed, and some of them was recognizing a feeling that I'd had before, but recognizing it sooner, so that I could do the the work to get myself through it quicker. And I think that's one of the good things in sobriety is you start to recognize different feelings, especially feelings that you don't realize how tired you are. And that's one thing can trip you up is when you get tired. But now I recognize that and I go, okay, step back 
here we go with the pause. You have to step back. You have to pause. You have to refocus, recharge, and then put your shoes back on and get back on. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's life. And I've enjoyed this, John. Thank you so much. It's been great. I, I'm not sure if it's exactly what Drifter was wanting, but you know what? It is what it is. It's a, it's a talk. You know and peop, people can relate to it. Drifter can accept it. That's it. We're <laughs> That is, that is, I think that's what we call this follow-up, acceptance. Acceptance of a good life. And it is a good life, people. It's a beautiful life. John, thank you for accepting my invitation. I've enjoyed it. Um, maybe we can do this again sometime a little bit yes. further down the road. But yes. thank you very, very much, John. Thank you. I, I enjoyed it. It's always great. Yeah, thanks.